to the book of the Revelation, chapter 12, chapter 12. What's the best way to hurt somebody? I suppose there are lots of ways. Perhaps the ways that you have been hurt in your life are too numerous to number. But I suppose some of the most frustrating ways in which I have been hurt is to watch someone hurt someone that I love. And thus is the strategy of the evil one that we will see here in our, con our text here this morning. Now, by way of review, you will recall that uh, there is a series of judgments throughout this book. I mean, it seems the whole book seems to be about that. And you will recall that each one of these things is targeted to eventually lead Israel into a saving relationship with Jesus. You remember what Jesus had said to the leaders before they crucified him. He said, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so first we had our seal judgments. You remember the scroll, right? Yes, and then we had these trumpet judgments. And you may recall that in chapter 11, the seventh trumpet was recorded as founding, but the details of what to come out of the seventh trumpet won't be revealed until chapter 16. So what's in between here? You may recall in chapter 11 last week, where the key word was again. You may recall that John was told to go to this enormous great angel and take this little scroll that was opened and to eat it. And it would be sweet in his mouth, but it would be bitter in his stomach. And he was told that he must prophesy again. In other words, what this angel was telling, this, this voice from heaven, the Lord perhaps, was telling him is, let's go back to that section of scripture, the last three and a half years of the seven years of tribulation. And this is this point, we're going to highlight some really important things. And that's what we're going to see here in chapters 12 to 15, is these highlights and as we look at what, what is on our plate here this morning, these were pretty big things to skip over, but they were skipped over, my friends, in order to highlight, to give understanding. And so what we're going to see here this morning is this, this unholy trio, Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. And if you never heard of those guys before, you're going to know something about it today. And in other words, what we're going to see here in this unholy is a fake trinity. The devil is, is a deceiver. And this is all about deception. Yes, we have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But what will be happening at the last three and a half years of this tribulation period will be extraordinarily intense. It's what Jesus called the great, the great, great uh, tribulation, the great one, the emphasis on how horrific this time will be. 
And if there is one thing we can learn from this period of time, it is this, that God will do whatever it takes to bring you back. Nothing is off the table, my friends. You want to turn the world upside down? Watch him do it. God tells Jonah, off to Nineveh with you. Oh, no, not me. (laughs) Behold the great fish. Behold what God will do to turn your heart. The wise person, my friends, will take heed. So in chapter 12 here, John laying out here three major players in this section of this tribulation period. And the first that we will find is a woman. You will notice in verse 1, And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and with a moon under her feet, and her head a crown of twelve stars. And behold, what in the world does that mean? Now, friends, if there is anything that you take away from this study... I would hope it is this, that you will learn to use cross-references. We have mentioned the treasury of Scripture knowledge numerous times, filled with cross-references. Here I am in verse 1. I look at this book, verse 1, and there are all of these cross-references. And they are clues because one of the things that we know about the book of Revelation is that if something is laid out, it is either explained in the book itself at some point, later or previous, or it is explained somewhere else in Scripture. And if you don't know the whole Bible by heart yet, which I'm guessing is all of us, you're going to need some tools to help you remember. So my friends, this great sign appearing in heaven, it's a woman clothed with the sun, And with a moon under her feet. And on her head a crown of twelve stars. Every one of those descriptions significant. And surely for some of you you said, hey, wait a minute. That sounds like Genesis 37. Remember that guy Joseph? The Lord gave him all these dreams and he couldn't wait to tell his brothers. And they were very excited to hear them. No, they weren't at all. As a matter of fact, they planned just to kill this kid. What, are you going to rule over us? In Genesis chapter 37 and verse 9, we read that then he, that's Joseph, dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said this, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. Now you said, hey, in Revelation it's 12. That's right. Including Joseph. And who is that? That's the family of Jacob. That's the nation of Israel he's talking about. And so the evidence is clear. Just a little bit of effort, my friends, and the book opens itself up to you. Things to be understood. And so we find the first major player is Israel, just as we would expect. Because the purpose of the tribulation 
is not the church. The church is gone. The focus is the nation of Israel. You know, and so here is Joseph telling this story. But just to highlight the truth, the, the clarity of this, in verse 10 of Genesis 37, but when he told it to his father and his mother, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. They understood the picture, and now you do. This is the nation of Israel. Now, there were some who claimed that, well, this is Mary, because Mary gave birth to Jesus, and we're going to see that that's significant here in verse 2. And she was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains in the agony of giving birth, but it's not Mary. From whence did the Messiah come? It came from the Jews. Salvation is of the Jews, came from the line of Israel. I dare you, go to one of the Gospels and start reading, and at least half the time you're going to find this long genealogy of all of these names that are difficult to pronounce. And why? To trace back all of the promises of God. God said it. God did it. So, my friends, player number one here is the nation of Israel. And then we come to uh, verse, uh, verse 3. And we find another sign appeared in heaven. And behold... A great red dragon with seven heads and seven and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems, and his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to earth. Wow. So here is this great red dragon, okay? Is that what it said? And behold, a great red dragon with seven. And here is this picture of seven, every word of, of Satan. And everything about this describes something about Satan, these pictures. We see his identity. Well, how do we, where is the identity in any of that? Well, if you go to chapter 12 and verse 9, you know, it just uh, it, it, we just read it, right? Go down to verse 9. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan and the deceiver of the whole world. See, the Bible told us who this red dragon is. Just got to do the work, friends. And so we know the dragon's identity is Satan. And then here in verses 3 and 4, we see the dragon's sin at the beginning. Satan fell somewhere, we don't know the timetable. That's a wonder about the scriptures. It doesn't often tell us how, it tells us that. This indeed will come to pass. Well, how will it come to pass? Well, you'll find out when it gets here. The important thing is that, not how. And there was a great rebellion in heaven, my friends. And Satan was thrown down. 
And he swept a third of the stars. And as we saw earlier in our study, the word stars often represents angels. And of course, demons were angels who fell with Satan. And here in verse 4, we, uh, at the end of verse 4, his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven, cast them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman who was about to get, give birth. And so this, this, this takes us to a timetable in which Jesus and the incarnation that he is to add humanity to himself and so he is there when this happens, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. And you say, I don't remember reading about Jesus or the Satan at Christmas time. Sure you do. You remember when Satan used the Romans to try to kill all the children to and under? And there was great, great wailing and mourning. Can you even think about it? Who would think? Let's go kill all the children. Surely it was Satan using the Romans. Player one, Israel. Player two, Satan. Player three here in verse five, a male child. And she gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all of the nations with a rod of iron. Let's pause there for a moment. When you read that phrase, this rod of iron, bells ought to be going off in your head. Ding, 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 ding. This is a clue. And this is significant, my friends. It's throughout the book of Hebrews. It is from Psalm chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2 and Psalm 110 are the most quoted verses and psalms in the whole New Testament. They are quoted far more than any other. Old Testament verse, because the highlight here is focused on Jesus' reign. Psalm chapter 2 and verse 6 says, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill, and I will tell you of the decree the Lord said to me. You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and at the ends of the earth your possession, and you shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. True reign, my friends, when Jesus sits on the throne of his father, David, and reigns for a thousand years. That promise has been coming for Oh, so many years, my friends, and one day it will be fulfilled. And here is this reference yet again of Jesus, who is the king to come. Y'all ever heard of the Lord's Prayer? You may have come across it at some point in your life. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Say it, your kingdom come. Your will be done. Yeah. Kingdom, my friend. There is a coming kingdom. We're going to read about it. We're not too many chapters away. But my friends, here we find the three major players. And what we find in verse 7 through 17 here 
He says, there is now a war in heaven. Take a look. The past tense is used to emphasize certainty throughout this book. Now war arose in heaven, and Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. Now there's a picture that sparks the imagination. How do angels fight? I mean, they're spirit beings, so I would imagine a gun wouldn't hurt them. I mean, what could you throw at them? How do they do? I don't know. Well, there's that old what and how again, isn't it? We know what's happening. How it happens doesn't matter to us. So war is in heaven. Michael, the prince who is, who is the guardian of over Israel, he has that responsibility and he is battling against Satan, fighting the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. And then we find the results here. Verse 8, but he was defeated. Well, of course he was. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And Satan is cast down. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil. That word means adversary. He is against you. To make a pact with Satan is a fool's errand because he is a deceiver. He is an adversary. And so he is called the ancient serpent who is called the devil. Again, adversary. And Satan, which means accuser. Think about that. What's Satan doing in heaven? He's telling on you, that's why. Look at them. Are they worth anything? Are they worth sacrificing your son? Not a last one of them. I'm guessing that's true though, isn't it? The accuser. The deceiver, the scripture says here, of the whole world. Devil is a murderer and a liar from the very beginning. First words out of a mouth that we see in Scripture, he's a liar. Has God really said? <laughs> You're not going to believe that, are you? That old Bible? God said the day you eat, oh, you shall surely not die. He's a liar and a deceiver. Hmm. And he is thrown down to earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And look at the response here in verse 10. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Friends, if this isn't underlined in your Bible, it ought to be. For they love not their lives even unto death. They love something more. 
It is something I say to Melanie an awful lot. Baby, I love you more than I love breathing. But I've never been tested on that. They love not their lives. You know who they loved? The one they were willing to lay down their lives for. Something to consider. Well, my friends, the first response we see here, the saints are filled with joy. But here in verse 12, Satan will be filled with wrath. Look at this. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea. For the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. In other words, he pursued Israel, persecuting Israel, the one who had brought about the Messiah. And ultimately, Satan will persecute Israel. Look at verse 14. But the woman who was given the two wings of the great eagle, so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time, times, and a half a time. We know the meaning of that. That's an unusual expression. I'm glad we don't tell time that way. You have a time, that's one, and times, that's two, and then a half. That's three and a half, isn't it? Three and a half years. Daniel in chapter 9 used the same expression. Three and a half years, the last half of this tribulation period, a great time of suffering for Israel. You may recall that in the first half, at the beginning of the tribulation period, Satan made a covenant with Israel. But at the midpoint, according to Daniel 9, 27, he broke it and persecution begins. Verse 15, the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river of the dragon had poured from its mouth. And the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. And those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus... And he stood on the sand and the sea. And so this is a time of great fury. Demonic activity, as we saw in chapter 11, continued into chapter 13. Well, my friends, the characters begin to enter the stage. And what we see here in chapter 13 is the first beast. Now, why call it the first? Why not just lay out and say, and here comes the Antichrist? You know, well, because this gives us a picture of the character of this person. Terrible, horrible, no good, very bad, monstrous person. In chapter 13, verse 1, John writes, And I saw a beast 
rising out of the sea with ten horns. Now, horns, of course, is about power, particularly when you're an animal. But it's also about kingdoms and seven heads with ten diadems on his horn and blasphemous names on each of its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Didn't say he was a leopard. There's that word John likes. He was like a leopard. And his feet were like bears. And his mouth was like a lion's mouth. Now this beast here is the Antichrist. And that term Antichrist is used only one time in the scriptures in 1 John 2.18. He's also referred to as the man of lawlessness in 2 Thessalonians 2.2, 2, 2.3, I should say, and the son of perdition in that very same verse. Like Hitler, he, who came to power in the midst of chaos, there were horrific events going on. And of course, that's what's going on here in this tribulation period. And he arises as though he is a hero. And this guy will come across as the answer to what's going on. Hey, listen to him. He's got some new ideas. Yeah. And so we see the origin of this guy. He rose out of the sea. Now the sea represents Gentile nations. And he, he's, the, uh, he's, he's, he's from a Western nation, according to Daniel 9. I mean, this guy is, is, is human. And he is a ruler, but not by power. Apparently a good talker. And people are drawn to him. And look at the end of verse 2, to his source of power and to the... And to it, this beast, the Antichrist, the dragon gave his power and his throne and his great authority. See, demonic powers behind him. And this guy is looked up to in such a big way by the world, my friends, that ultimately he becomes the object of worship. How does that happen? Well, I'm glad you asked. Look at verse 3. And one of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. And the whole world marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, for he has given his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? And who can fight against him? Some dark days, my friend. You know the answer to that question, and they're going to find out. But this, this mortal wound means a wound unto death. This guy came back to life, and it is the beginning of these deceptions, these imitations, like the Christ. You know, this fellow's a lot like Jesus was. Really, empowered by Satan. Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 24, Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ. Oh, now you know what he's talking about. 
There he is. Do not believe it for false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the very elect, even those who know better. Because those great signs and those great wonders are awfully compelling. Well, my friends, we see he becomes the object of worship. The whole world is thrilled to get down on their knees for this guy. And look at verse 5. And the beast was giving a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words. And it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. Math quiz. How long is 42 months? Three and a half years. (laughs) Y'all will be dreaming about that someday. Three and a half years, 42 months. (laughs) But you get it. For the last half of this tribulation period. It opened its mouth in verse 6 and uttered blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Look at verse 7, his hatred for Israel. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them, and authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation and all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of the life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has ears to hear, if anyone has... To If anyone has to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. And if anyone is to be slain with a sword, and with a sword he must be slain. Here is a call for the endurance of the faith of the saints. The only option is not out, but through. Hatred for the people of God. Yeah. Well, my friends, if Satan and the Antichrist isn't enough, my friends, here in verse 11, there is yet another beast. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth, and it had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. And look at his authority. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence, And makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. And look at his actions. This is the false prophet, my friends, that Jesus warned about. And like Elijah, he would go before the Antichrist and prepare the world for him. And look at his actions here in verse 13. This beast performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. Does that sound like to you? A guy named Elijah? Yeah. 
And so there he is, the one who must come before Elijah. Hmm. He's a phony, my friends. He's a miracle worker, and now he is a religious leader. And look at verse 14. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. He has economic control. Look at verse 15. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast. And so they made this image, and now somehow they've made this man-made image of the beast come to life. It was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Two options, my friends, bow the knee or die. And also it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. And so, my friends, this is a willing reception of this mark. They have bought in wholeheartedly other than those who are dying for their faith. And here in verse 18, we see his number. And this calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man and his number Anybody know what his number is? I bet you know this one, don't you? Six, six, six. After a bunch of research, I found it. The mark is actually an Apple iPhone. <laughs> I'm kidding. You know what? When I was in high school, I remember a conversation about this, and people uh, saying, "Well, it's Reagan." Reagan, Ronald, that's six letters. Wilson, six letters. Reagan, six letters. Reagan is the Antichrist. <laughs> and I simply rec recount that because of the absurdity of guessing. Again, this is a what, not a how. This is a there is a mark. And that 666 looks like it's all short for 777. And the, the, the scripture even states here, my friends, that it's uh, the number of man. Yeah, for it's the number of man, six. Created, yeah. We don't know what. Some manuscripts actually say 616. Well, that would throw you for a loop, wouldn't it? The point is, my friends, that real believers are sealed by the Spirit of God. But people who love their lives will gladly take a mark in order to have a meal. I have heard people say, well, what good would I be to God if I were dead? <laughs> to which I might respond, what good are you to God 
if you're alive and rejecting him before others. Love not their lives. That seems to be a pretty good standard, my friends. What's that look like in your world? Well, let's wrap it up and get out of here. How about that? Satan, as we see here, has nothing to offer but death. Death. He is a murderer. He is a liar. He is a deceiver. He is an accuser. But my friends, the very opposite of God, who offers us life through his son, and the evil one should only take it. So when Satan comes knocking, my friends, resist. James chapter 4 verse 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. The devil comes knocking, don't answer the door, my friends. And know this, that the best way to resist the deceiver's lies is to believe God's truth. And to hold firm to what we know is true. And finally, don't be fooled. Satan's lies often come out of other people's mouths. Test what you're hearing, my friends. Just because it's popular doesn't mean it's right. Know the truth. The truth will set you free, my friends.